So last week, uh, we, we studied the Christian church experiencing persecution for the first time. Peter and John had healed the lame man and preached uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were warned by the Jewish religious leaders that they would not teach or speak at all in the name of Jesus Christ. And they stood in, in defiance of that, and they went back to the church, and the church was united in, in prayer. And in their prayer, they didn't pray for deliverance. They didn't, uh, they, they didn't ask God to remove them from what they were going through. They, they asked God to give them boldness to speak the word of God. God answered that prayer, and he gave them that boldness. They wanted to speak boldly in the name of Christ. And at the end of what we studied last week, it says that the church was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled again, renewed, re, you know, filled afresh, if you would, by the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, they were strictly warned by the religious leaders that Sanhedrin, the 70 leaders plus the uh, the, the high priest. So 71 give him a very stern warning. Do not teach or speak in the name of Christ at all. And what does the church do? They go back and go to God and say, we cannot but speak in the name of Christ. We have to. You remember Peter said, you guys can do what you want. You can say what you want. Whether we should obey God or man, you guys are going to have to deal with that. But we are going to preach in the name of Christ. They had that resolved in their hearts. And they went back and and the church prayed, and, and they received power uh, from the Lord as the Holy Spirit was poured out. And I know, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when, you, when, you have to, when we're looking at the book of Acts, we have to understand that it's all based on what Jesus Christ said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is the basis. When we're looking at, so your Bible may say the acts of the apostles, and we've talked about this. It's actually the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. The, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through the apostles' lives. You know, the enemy, you know, Satan, was unsuccessful in silencing the name of Christ when we were just studying what we're going to look at today is an example, a great example of selflessness, but we're also going to see a new tactic being used by the enemy. He had failed in his first attempt uh, to attack the church from the outside. Now he's going to attack, uh, attempt to bring disruption and insincerity within the church when we move into Acts chapter 5. So we saw Satan's attack to shut down the gospel of Christ before and now we're going to see uh, great acts of generosity and, uh, and this selflessness that's happening. But then we see when we turn the page and we look into Acts chapter 5, we see the enemy at work from within. Acts 4.32 says, now, when, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. They had all things in common. So this group of believers uh, were of one heart and one soul. There was unity within the, the church of Christ. And we learn here that they were united in prayer and filled with the Holy Spirit. This also describes that they were living in selflessness. They were caring for one another. They saw giving to support one another as a blessing and not a burden or a curse because the Holy Spirit was at work in these believers. You know, this was a time of great persecution that if you aligned yourself with Christ, you would be persecuted, you'd be kicked out of the Jewish synagogues. Uh, many people wouldn't come if you had a business. They wouldn't come to your business anymore. Or you might go and try to buy something and they go, wait a minute, you, we don't see you. You got kicked out of synagogue. You're no longer welcome to buy here either. There was a lot going on. So what this church was doing is they were binding together and they were saying that, we are going to give, we are going to support uh, one another. And, uh, you know, as they're making a stand for Jesus, it resulted in them being persecuted, losing family, you know, losing jobs, losing provision. But what, say, what this is saying here is that nobody lacked. That, you know, nobody was saying that, uh, that hey, what's mine's mine, and I'm just going to take it, and you guys can fend for yourself. God was doing a special thing in their hearts. 
and ministering, that when these people moved by the Holy Spirit, uh, they made the decision to uh, to sell those things and to bring the money uh, to the church. Now, I will say there are many that may take this this uh, passage of Scripture and say, all right, here we go. You know, they had already passed the plate once. They're going to pass it two more times. They got to get more money, right? We got to be able to do this. If you guys want to do this, if you want the church building, if you want this, this, and this, we need more money. And the plate keeps getting passed around. Guys, I don't even say this as a joke. I, I know that that can be funny to think of. But there are churches right around us, within 30 minutes of us, that will blow trumpets when when it's time to give, that they'll, they'll make a big deal and everybody's waving what they're giving. And, and everybody's being seen putting money in the plate. And they'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's something special going on. We're going to pass it again, and everybody's going to do it again. You know, the Lord is not in that. If God is moving, I've seen God move so powerfully. Jen and I have been a part of this church for 20 years, and I've seen the Lord move so powerfully in people's lives sometimes that they'll just say, hey, the Lord has blessed me, and I've seen them approach, never being provoked. I've seen them approach Will when he was the pastor here for 20 years. And then Will will be like, you never believe it, man. Somebody just approached us and they said they want to buy, buy chairs for the whole church. That's what that type of movement was. It was the Holy Spirit moving and they're going, wait a minute. God's blessed me. I, I just want to bless somebody else with it. That's what's happening here. You know, this isn't a worldly form of communism that's being forced on everybody to give. Communism, when you look at it, is what's yours is mine. I'm going to take it. That's worldly communism. This is what you more aligned with what uh, in the Greek is called koinonia, a fellowship, having all things in common. What is, what is mine is yours, and I will share it. That's what's being happened. It's not like the apostles are saying everybody needs to go out and they need to sell everything and bring it to uh, to us, and we're going to take care of it. No, it's as the Lord led, and as these these uh, people were moved, they were selling things. So these material positions uh, possessions meant nothing to them. You know, those were, that were led by the Holy Spirit did as they were led. Considering Christian giving, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of, out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right? I mean, you guys, we have, we've, if you've been around kids, grandkids, uh, you know, relatives, nieces, nephews, your own kids or whatever, the uh, the biggest thing that, that you sometimes have to break from a child is uh, that that mindset that this is mine. I don't want to give it up, right? This is mine. And, you know, we got to peel the fingers away. Mine. This is mine. The Lord doesn't want to have to treat us that way. As he's moving and as he's showing us, guys, this is not, you guys know me well enough. This is not a, 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 a plea for anybody to go start filling the collection boxes. That's not we're, we're just here in the scripture. That's not what it's about. But God wants us to give as he is moving and as he is doing something. It says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as God moves, we give. You know, whether that's your tithes, whether that's an extra off, whatever, that's between you and the Lord. You know, there will never be a message of you need to give more. You know, I, I firmly believe that uh, if God is moving and he wants to do something in this church, where God guides, he provides. We're not going to start a fundraiser or anything here. Where God guides and where God wants to move, he is going to provide. God doesn't need us to, to gather everything up. God's richer than anybody on this earth will ever be. And if he wants to do something, he will provide. He will move in hearts and that he will provide those things. You know, it's funny because I remember a brother years ago. He said, you know what? I just I want us all to move. I want us to start a, like a commune out in the woods. And we just all want to be just live a Christian life out there. You know, that's not what we're called to, to do as Christians, is it? You know, uh, sometimes when you look at the craziness of this world, that's what we'd want to do. Right. Just want to. I've got three daughters, and I'd want to. Uh, you know, my wife and I take them. They're going to be somewhere safe, right? But but we are called to serve this world. That we're called to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Philippians two verses fourteen and fifteen says, "Do all things without complaining and disputing, 
that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are called to be in the midst of this broken, uh, of this crooked and perverse generation. We can't lock ourselves up and say, hey, let the world, as they say, go to hell in a handbasket, right? We can't do that. As Christians, because the Lord still has us here and hasn't taken us away, we are here to minister the gospel of Christ. That's what we're here to do. As much as, as, as nice as it would be to live in, as the world uh, was created, that it would be safe and that we could praise the Lord in, in safety and, and not have to worry about those things, those things are great. But we would have to go lock ourselves, go move out to some island and be away from everybody. Guess what? We're sinners. The sin's going to follow us right out there. The first person that steps on the island, done. The island's already doomed, right? The island's already, you know, because we are sinners and we need a Savior. We are called to be in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's, that's what we're called as Christians. We are, we are to be the ones not to light a lamp and then put it under a basket. That's foolishness, right? Because you don't light something and then, you know, like a, like a flashlight. You take a flashlight, you put your hand over it, right? It's not, no longer showing the light that's still shining. You know, we're not supposed to do that. You turn on a flashlight so that you can see in the dark. And that you might seek out and you might find. You know, but we are called that when somebody sees that light, they say, what's different about your life? Not perfect. I've been saved by Christ. You can be too. It's that simple. I can that that we would share that that uh, wonderful message of salvation. Romans ten thirteen and fourteen say, "For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We can't expect everybody around us to just magically uh, just turn their lives around." They're in broken shambles. Not everybody. We're, now, you may think of somebody. I, I've, I've, uh, a couple weeks ago, we went down to Philadelphia, went to uh, Kensington Avenue. You know, we were staying in Kensington, and Brian's familiar with the area. We're like, wait a minute, we're staying in Kensington. He's like, relax. He goes, there's an area, there's an avenue. We know that, that drug use and abuse is, is rampant in this state. But when you see it, all concentrated to one area, it's heartbreaking. Heartbreak. Because I don't know about you, you might have seen uh, documentaries on drug use and, 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 and abuse or whatever it is, and you see the wretchedness. You see what's happening there and how it's destroying lives. It's on TV. When you see it in person, and, and, and many of us know people that have been bound to drug and alcohol abuse. Many of us in here have been bound to those things and freed in Christ from those things, right? When you see somebody actually preparing their vein to receive the poison and you see them smoking the, um, uh, the fentanyl that's, that's sitting on a foil, when you see it out in the open and in groups and you see people unconscious laying on the ground, you see the, res the, the end result of sin. Right. When, when James says that sin, this is how sin works. It entices us. It draws us in and gives birth to sin. Right. That's what it does. So we can be enticed by something. And once we're enticed and drawn in, then it becomes sin in our life. And then sin, as it has its work in us, leads to death. It can be several different types of death, spiritual death, physical death, a death of relationships, death of all those things. Sin results in death and it re results in defeat and slavery when we see the end result of that. If we as Christians are living in a world that th that's this bad and we're not sharing the gospel, there's a problem. It's a problem with that. If we're looking and turning our nose up, you know, at those people. No, we're called to be lights, to share. That, that our, our hearts would be moved. That we would want to share what we have. 
and that the greatest thing that we can share is Jesus Christ. You know, and this isn't an Amish bashing thing, but you consider the Amish. They've totally separated themselves from everybody else. They won't use electricity, any of those things. They've separated themselves. Where is their ministry in a lost and broken world? They don't have it. Because they can't reach the audience because they're not willing to go talk to them. You know, some of them have, don't get me wrong, some people have relationships with uh, people that are Amish, but we can't take that same approach. As Christians, we're not called to separate ourselves physically from everybody else and not share the gospel. We have to share. And when we do, things happen. Good things happen. You know, we're, we are called to love God, to love people, stand boldly in the name of Christ and share his message with our words and actions. As the church was being changed, you know, the church had swelled at this point from five up to 5,000, right? Remember that first message that Peter, that Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. And then it had swelled, and last week this, we saw 5,000 people. That's God doing his thing. And as God is doing his thing, and as people are hearing from people that their lives have been changed by the gospel, and that they're out ministering to that, that crooked and perverse generation, as they're out ministering, people are coming to salvation. And as they are, there's a need for people to be provided for because they're losing their jobs. They're losing all these things. So the church has gathered together and said, hey, you know what? We're going to be together in prayer and fellowship. We're going to be in uh, the word and we're going to break bread together. Those four main spiritual food groups, right? They're, they had those things in common. And everybody's uh, looking out for one another. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So it says there was great power. You know, they gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Remember Acts 1.8, right? I'm not trying to be a broken record, but Jesus said, they shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Just as Christ said, they had received the power and they were ministering. He said that they were going to receive that power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Samaria. The, the, uh, the, uh, Israel hated Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were half Jews. And what does Jesus say? I'm going to send you out to minister to them and to the rest of the world. The Holy Spirit changing them, doing his work in them. They were given power and boldness to continue to minister. It says that there was grace, great grace was upon them. Grace is favor from God. And we know from the scriptures that that favor is undeserved. Grace changes lives and grace is poured into our lives and it flows out of our lives and uh, into other people's lives, right? That's how God works. He changes us and, and as his grace and love change, uh, changes us, then those things should be pouring out of our lives and ministering. And that's what we see was happening here. Grace allows us to live in a unity of the spirit. We see that these, these, uh, this church was all gathered together in unity and they were praying. It was God's grace that was holding them together. God's spirit. Verse 34 nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as had need, as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also called also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the disciples weren't sitting there getting rich. They were distributing to the needs uh, as they applied. And we see here one being uh, highlighted, a man by the name of Joseph, who from here on we'll know as, uh, as Barnabas. The son of encouragement is what the name Barnabas, Barnabas means, or son of exhortation, that you would strengthen other people. It says that uh, we, as we consider uh, Colossians 4.10 says that he was the cousin of John Mark, who was the author of the gospel, according to Mark. Barnabas is mentioned in the, uh, in the book of Acts at least 25 times. This guy was mentioned 25 times. 
and five other times in the epistles. Now that would lead me to believe this man had a very effective ministry of blessing and encouraging others. If there's a ministry that any of us should desire, it would be blessing and encouraging others in their relationship with Christ. That we would all seek the Lord and ask him, you know, Barnabas, not a perfect man, but he's one that we could emulate. You know, he's a selfless man. He was one that uh, he, uh, as we continue in the book of Acts in chapter 9, we're going to see that he was one that persuaded the church to accept Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was standing there holding everybody's coats as Stephen's about to get stoned to death. Paul's the one with the letter on his road to Damascus. He's got the authority in his hand and he can go and he was already doing it. He was arresting people and causing them to blaspheme the name of Christ, leading them to be beaten or killed because of their faith. If they wouldn't deny Christ, then they would be persecuted. They would be beat or they would experience a great deal of persecution that their lives would be ruined. He loved doing that until in Acts chapter 9, he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And his life changed. Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, the prods. It means God was already working in his heart. And when, when he met Jesus Christ and became a, a, a Christian, nobody wanted to believe in him because they were all afraid of Paul. He was the one that was do, leading the persecution, arresting Christians. And when they heard, wait a minute, Paul, you mean the Paul? Nobody would, like, they're all scared and everything. Barnabas puts his arm around him and brings him in. Guys, this man has been renewed in the name of Christ. And that Saul of Tarsus became Paul that we know as, as uh, Paul the Apostle. His life was changed. Barnabas was the one that brought him and encouraged him. In, in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, it says, And when Saul... Saul of Tarsus, had come to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, uh, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the, uh, to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is, is called a man of God who is a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Acts 11, verses 22 through 24 says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So he was one that would that encouraged the church to accept Paul, and then he went uh, to the church and, uh, and encouraged them in Antioch in their faith. He was one that would serve God by sincerely following the leadership of his, uh, the orders of his leadership above him. He brought Paul from Tarsus to Antioch in uh, Acts 11, as leadership had asked him to do. He was a man that could be trusted to be faithful in little or in much. He accompanied Paul in his first missionary journey. He encouraged John Mark after, for a time, he uh, had returned home for ministry. He left the ministry and returned home. And that was a cause of contention between Paul and Barnabas. And Paul's saying, no, you know what? He left the ministry and returned home. I can't have him come back. He's going to be a liability. And Barnabas said, you know what? If you're not going to take him, and there was a great contention between the two. And Barnabas says, I'll take him. And, he, and Barnabas took him, and, and ministry continued with Barnabas, Barnabas taking John Mark. And the scripture was still being spread. And sometimes that, that will happen in ministry. There's a disagreement, and they say, hey, we're going to agree to disagree on this. I'm going to take him with me, and we're going to move forward. You know, Barnabas was used mightily by the Lord. He was moved by the Holy Spirit, as we just see, to sell his land, and he brought the money and laid it uh, with the collective funds. And he wanted to bless his brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
Remember, he was an encourager. He was other-centered. So this, this came naturally to him. We can learn a lot from him about serving others, you know, using what God has given us to bless others. He considered others' needs more important than his own. Encouraged others, helping them in their walk. And in the face of persecution, he would help them grow. You know, there's an encouragement for us. We see that he was a man, as I said, was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with faith. A good man, you know, that, that we would strive to and ask the Lord, Lord, that I would be filled anew with your Holy Spirit, that I would be filled with faith. Make me a godly man, a godly woman that can be used by you, that is other-centered, that loves others, you know, walking in sincerity with the Lord. A verse that I learned uh, when we had taken our uh, youth group over in Washington State to a combined youth uh, week in uh, Ponderay County in Washington uh, State. And uh, we get up there. Tom knows that area very well. He used to teach uh, survival uh, training uh, for the Air Force there. And uh, we get up there, and I just remember that the verse for the whole thing was Micah 6 8. And it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. When that is our mindset, God works in and through us. That we would do justly, walk humbly, and and uh, sorry, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. When we are submitted to the Lord and God has his way, his Holy Spirit's ministering to us, he's going to build us. He's going to use us. And he's going to use us to bless others. Right? We can be so focused on blessing ourselves. Filling ourselves. What am I going to do? How am I going to get better? How am I going to get to this point? What did Jesus say? The way is up, up is down, right? The way for a spiritual promotion is to be the greatest servant of all. Barnabas understood that. And that's the way he lived his life. Acts chapter 5. So as we're moving into Acts chapter 5, uh, we see that in the middle of genuine love and care for one another, there's a selfishness that's introduced. This is Satan at work that is looking to cause cracks in the fellowship. To cause others to put themselves first in their lives again. You know, God was doing an amazing work and everyone was wholly submitted to him and he provided for them through people being moved by the Holy Spirit to support one another. What we see here as we move into, is probably a familiar scripture to you, is fakeness being uh, purged from the church should be a lesson to us and that that any type of fakeness or a hypocrisy in our lives should be removed that we should turn from those things and and walk in sincerity with the Lord and serving him now considering the word sincere uh, will uh, our the former pastor here explained that sincere a great way to understand something that was sincere would be, to look at pottery, and back in that day, they would put signs out, sincere pottery, meaning it was without crack, and it was without wax, because what could happen, you guys ever been burned by somebody when you buy something? You go to buy a car, and they're like, yep, yeah, runs great, you know, just did a tune-up, just changed this, 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 and this, not going to tell you that it's burning oil, and uh, it's going to be dead in, you know, 10,000 miles, right? When somebody hides something, they're, they're, they're deceiving you into believing something. So there's an insincerity there, right? So it's the same thing back in those days that pottery, would, that the sign would say sincere pottery, meaning it's without wax. Because what people would do is they'd be making something with pottery, and if there was a crack there, instead of saying, well, I can't sell this to somebody, because now they're going to be out. Maybe they, you know, they work hard for their money, and, and now they've paid money for all this pottery or whatever they were buying. We're, we're going to use pottery as an example. Uh, and as soon as you pour something hot in that pottery, what's going to melt? The wax, right? The cracks are going to show up. It's going to start leaking. So they would say sincere pottery without crack. So what we see happening here is that there's an insincerity being introduced in uh, the lives of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Warren Wearsby said, if he, Satan, does not succeed in, as the devouring lion that he attacks as the deceiving serpent or an angel of light. You know, uh, Peter described him, uh, Satan, as a devouring lion. So if he can't uh, just shut the church down by scaring them, by the roar 
of being told, don't you preach or even teach in the name of Jesus Christ, then he has a different tactic. And he goes within the church. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So he's saying that, that Satan can, can come in and uh, as a serpent bring deception. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 and 14 say, For such are false witnesses, deceitful workers, uh, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. The deceit, the insincerity that's there comes from the root cause is obedience to Satan rather than God. We'll see a great example of it here. Verse 1 says, but. It starts with a great word of contrast. So we see that everybody was being blessed and that the church was growing and that everybody was being taken care of. Verse 1 says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain uh, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So in contract to attrast to the true act of worship from Barnabas and the others, this means that although this was all happening, there was a difference between uh, the uh, the ones that were truly following the Lord and, and doing as the Spirit moved them and what uh, Ananias and Sapphira just as we see what they committed. There was great love, grace, faith, and selflessness being shared in the congregation of the saints. But Ananias and Sapphira, their sin was not keeping money. Their sin was lying and deceitfulness and pretending to be something they weren't. As Peter addresses them here, we'll see in verse 3, that was their problem. It wasn't money. We've talked about that. You know, in this uh, this culture, this uh, the saying, uh, the 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 scripture is often misquoted, and it will say, "Well, you know, money is the root of all evil." And I know we've talked about this uh, enough uh, recently that you're going to be familiar with it. The scripture says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. So money itself is necessary. We understand as as the world works, there has to be a market, right? Money itself is a tool. But any time any type of tool becomes too important, then it's now the love of X, whatever it is, right? And when that happens, that's when sin creeps in. That's when it becomes a problem. So their problem was, was their love of money and their love for themselves that they wanted to be looked at. And we'll look at it here. Uh, they wanted to be looked at differently. They wanted to put on a mask and, and, and fake that they were something that they're not. You know, there was a, if you want to look, there was insincerity. There was a crack in their pottery and they wanted to appear sincere. And when you consider hypocrisy, it's deliberate deception. Trying to make people think we're more spiritual than we are. Right? Right? I mean, I, guys, that's an easy one. That's an easy one for any of us. None of us want to walk around like, hey, I'm a complete wretch. You know, <laughs> hey, you didn't just see me yelling at the person that cut me off earlier, right? You didn't, we, none of us want to walk around and show how imperfect we are. But if we're, if we're outright about that and we're saying, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect. My life has problems in it and God is changing me. God is working. He saved me from here and I'm still very much a work in progress. That's how we walk through the Christian life. There's that process of, of sanctification while we're here, right? We're sanctified from sin and then we're being sanctified from this world. And that's a lifelong process for many of us. And, you know, when we consider that that those things are going to happen. So hypocrisy is easy. You know, many will say, oh, I'm not going to go to church because it's all a bunch of hypocrites. Right. But the scriptures tell us not to forsake the Hebrews 1025, not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren, as some have taught. We have to be in church. Why? Because this is a hospital. Right. It's it, people say, you know, people go to church. It's a crutch. Yes. It's even more than that. Like we got oh, this guy over here waiting to get defibrillated. You know, you got all these things. That's what church is to be revived, to be changed, that we would grow together in a grace and grace and knowledge of the Lord. Right. Together, that unity. That's what we can pray together. We can walk together because God doesn't call us to be Lone Ranger Christians. He doesn't. 
calls us to be together and uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord together. So these guys are putting up an impressive front and they're hiding what they're really doing. And this can cause others to grow discouraged uh, with their own gift amounts, right? So when they're coming up and they, I, we don't know what they sold it for. They weren't even obligated to sell it. But they did it with the intention of saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to go and we're going to make it look like we're giving uh, you know, all or, or that God has moved in our hearts and that we're doing everything else, but we're really going to keep some back. And I love how Peter addresses that. But, and, and we'll see here as we get close to it, you know, this could cause other people to lose their joy in giving or cause people to not even, Remember Jesus when he cleansed the temple? Like he's driving, he made that whip and he's driving people out because they were causing people to not want to go there and worship joyfully because they're getting ripped off. They needed to have the temple coins and they needed to, as they were converting their funds, they were getting ripped off on the exchange rate or they were bringing in a, 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 a you know, a lamb that was without spot. And they're saying, no, you know, we need the temple approved one and the price is jacked up and, and Jesus goes in and he cleanses it out and he says, no, no, you've made this place a den of thieves. This is supposed to be a house of prayer and worship of my father. It's the same deceit. It's the same type of thing that can discourage somebody else or, or cause others to follow their lead. You know, they're playing church. They want to seem like they were a part of what was going on. They had themselves in mind over others. And uh, we, uh, Jesus told us to not, when we give, we do not give to be recognized. Jesus told, it, told us that when we give, we don't let one hand know what the other is doing. And it's not like we have minds in our hands. That was, that was an example he was using. That we would give privately. That we would give secretly. That we wouldn't get the credit, but God would get the credit for what he's doing. You know, that he would get glory. Verse 3, So, it, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So Peter, uh, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, recognized the insincerity and the deceit, what was going on here. And he addresses the situation. And he asks him, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And he tells Ananias that he is following Satan and not the Holy Spirit that Satan had filled his heart. You know, Jesus identified Satan as the father of lies, the father of one that would deceit, that would bring deceit and deceive. Remember John chapter 8, I think it's verse 44, that Jesus said that, that those religious leaders were so convinced that they were following God, and he says, nope, you're, you're of the devil. You know, he was a murderer, and he's a liar, and he's the father of lies. So what... what uh, Simon Peter is doing here is he's telling him, you know, you're not lying to people. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You know, that's impossible. God's the omniscient one. He knows everything. It's not like we can pull one over on God. You know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this past God. No, uh, God is so faithful to, to check our hearts when we do, right? If we don't have that check in our heart, that won't, that's when we need to be really afraid because our hearts are numb to what God is doing. That's when we should, wait a minute. I'm no longer getting a check in my heart when I'm sinning. That's a problem. That's when th that's like grave. That's really scary. But God is so faithful that he, ch what, is the, what does the scripture say? He chastises those whom he loves. He corrects us. Peter's asked him, he says, while it remained, was it not your own? Peter's telling him that, that he could have just, that, you know, kept it for yourself. You know, this wasn't mandatory, but voluntary. He said, while it remained, it was yours. You weren't told to do this. We weren't, we weren't making you do this thing. And, and Peter Peter's pointing out that the motive must have been something different. You know, I'm led to believe they wanted to impress others and gain status. So even after it was sold, he says, you, know, you could have kept the money. Money wasn't the problem. It was the desire to be seen as sincere when they weren't. That was their problem. That was, but that's what Peter is dealing with. He's like, oh, you kept the money. He says, no, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You were acting as everybody else was, as the Spirit moved them, and, and they were doing these things. And you came, and you were, you were playing church. And, that's, and, and he, he tells them that, that he's aware of it, and that God's aware of it. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart, he says. What were you thinking? It's not men that you've lied to, but God. 
You know, all was open before the Lord. You know, remember King Saul acting sincere. You know that uh, you may be familiar from uh, from First Kings and uh, sorry, First Samuel. He was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites for ambushing Israel when they left Egypt. And uh, God was judging them. First Samuel, you'll see it come up here, 15 verses 8 and 9 says that he, God also, uh, sorry, this is speaking of Saul. He also, so instead of destroying everybody, we'll see what he does. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were, utter, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Right? So Peter went in there. And, uh, sorry, not Peter. Saul went in there. King Saul, not Saul of Tarsus. Different Saul. Saul went in there. He was given very specific instructions. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. Because they sought to utterly destroy you when you were leaving uh, out of out of. Uh, the land of Egypt, and they ambushed them. And so what they do is they spared the king and the best of all the animals, everybody, everything that they could build and they could uh, benefit from, they kept. But they were told to utterly destroy everything. But everything despised and worthless. So they did just enough good to make it look like they had done what they were supposed to do. God knew of this insincerity and uh, this compromise, 1 Samuel 15, verses 13 and 14, and then we'll get to 22 and 23. Then Samuel, the prophet, heard from the Lord, and he, he was told to go address Saul. And verse 13 says, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What is this? Uh, what then is this bleeding of sheep? And my ears and lowing of oxen that I hear. Oh, you've done everything? Then why am I hearing animals? You were told to wipe them all out. And here you are with a claim that you're doing what God has told you to do. And uh, you're, you're faking it. You're faking it. And he says, no, I'm hearing these things. Verse 22. And so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and, and idolatry. But you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. So Saul tried to manipulate the situation by buttering him up, saying, Blessed are you of the Lord, right? Guys, be, beware of flattery, because that's what's happening right there. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. No, you didn't. <laughs> Samuel laid on that. I love how Will used to do that. You know, Saul knew that he was guilty, and he tried to be deceitful and cover up uh, these words. You know, God knew his heart. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know, Saul was a leader, and as a leader, uh, he displayed disobedience to God's command. As a leader, you have a greater responsibility to whatever uh, you are called to lead. And you're called to lead by example. James says that not many are uh, should strive to be teachers because you're held to a greater, uh, a greater accountability. You know, as God revealed to Samuel that he was aware of Saul's rebellion. And despite Saul's attempt to appear that he was sincere in his situation, uh, he was wearing a mask. He had that hypocrisy there, and uh, and as though he had hadn't rejected the word of God. Uh, and what it ended with was him being removed from being the king of Israel. When I say wearing a mask, a hypocrite can be considered. Uh, they would call actors that would wear a mask a hypocrite. That's what they they were called. They would wear a mask pretending to be something else. Saul was doing that. He was saying, "Yeah, hey, I've done these things." And Samuel said, no, you haven't. I still hear bleeding of sheep. Why do I hear, you know, the lowing of oxen? Like, what's going on here? Because they had kept all the things. It's funny if you go back and read that. Here's the leader of the, of the nation. He starts blaming the people. You know, as a leader, you're the one held accountable. Verse 5. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon those who heard these things. And young men arose, wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. 
You know, this cost him his life, and he breathed his last. He was playing church. And uh, we, as Christians, need to understand a true personal relationship with Christ is the only means of salvation. You know, we can play church. We can come here and, and act as though. And when I say we, that's because we're all human beings. Guys, you ever been here and been in an argument with your family the whole way through, all the way down to church, walk in the door, oh, hey, got to act like I didn't just get done yelling at my family, and we got to put on the mask, right? There, it, it happens in our lives. What we see here as the result is this man lost his life. And it says a great fear came upon those who had heard. Remember the golden calf situation in, in Exodus? Remember that? There's a golden calf. You know, Moses is up praying. He's having his time with the Lord. And down, uh, you know, Aaron was in charge of the people down there. Loses control of everybody. They start idol worship. And it ended with 3,000 people losing their lives because they turned from worshiping the Lord, and they worshiped this golden thing, and they said, this is what saved us and brought us out of Egypt. They had just physically watched God opening the Red Sea and walking through. That tells you the fickleness of our hearts. You know, that, that type of insincerity should not be, if we, if we have that, pray to the Lord and turn from it and ask Him to help. Sin can't be tolerated. And this was introducing insincerity to the church and God uh, God made a, if you, if you, if you will, an example of them. You know, we talked about leaven earlier. A little leaven, the scripture says, leaven's the whole lump. So these young men came in and they wrapped him up and carried him out. Verse seven. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter an answered her, "Tell me whether you sold the land for this much." So she said. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they carry, they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came and found her, her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those all who heard these things. So three hours later, in comes Sapphira, and she's aware of what had happened to her husband. She's given a chance to be truthful. Uh, she followed the lead of her husband, uh, the way of hypocrisy, uh, and uh, was there and told the lie. And she said, yep, this is, this is what happened. She came in wearing the mask. She came in playing the part with, with insincerity, and the end result was the same for her. His scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 16 that God looks on the inside. When, uh, when, when he went looking for the, the, king, the next king of Israel to take over after Saul was being removed, God told him because he's looking and he's trying to find the right person. He goes to the house of Jesse and, and he's brought to all of the, the, his older brothers. You know, he's got all these, this whole list of people and God says, don't look on the outside, look on the inside. And when he saw David, who they had out in the field, he's like, oh, these are all your sons. There isn't any more. Oh, we forgot about David. He's the one out in the field. He's, uh, he's just shepherding. You know, I guess we'll bring him in. When we bring him in, he knew that that was the one. It's all about what's on the, out, what's on the inside. You know, we, uh, you know, he knows what's, what's on the inside, what's in our hearts. I don't know about you guys, but that can be scary. <laughs> that God knows what's on the inside of our hearts, but yet he still loves us. He just calls us to walk in integrity, to be sincere in our faith, not to be people that are, uh, are wearing masks, that, uh, we, that are, are ones that are going to you know, mislead people. No, we just be straight up. Hey, how you doing? Actually, I've had a rough week. You know, actually, it's been a rough day. Said some things I shouldn't have, <laughs> right? Well, I'm, I'm blessed to see you here, man, because I know the Lord's still working. You know, when you consider God judging this sin, you know, when he was uh, at a point and doing something new in a period of uh, through history, uh, you know, you can consider something like Nadab and Abihu, you know, presenting profane fire before the Lord. When God wanted to make a statement that this was so grave, you cannot do this. It reminds me of when God had said that you should do no work on the Sabbath to the, to the Jews. And then one guy in defiance of that, doing work in his yard, throwing around rocks or something. I can't remember what he was moving, doing all those things. He lost his life over it. 
God's word is serious. We need to take it seriously. So to close, there's an encouragement here to be sincere. You know, when you look at Barnabas's life, you look at his gift, it was given in sincerity. You know, he wanted to be one that would encourage others to be genuine, to be concerned with the growth and well-being of others. He was an other-centered man. Philippians, uh, two more uh, references uh, to part with. Philippians 2 verse 3 say, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or deceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Guys, that's so different from the, this culture. I need to push myself. I need to elevate myself. Remember, God's economy is that we are serving. Lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Last verse uh, Romans chapter uh, reference, I should say, Romans 12 verses 9 and 10 say, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Be sincere in our walks, all of us. Sincerity in our lives. When people see sincerity that, hey, we're normal human beings. Rather than putting the front on, rather than being ones that want to be looked at as super spiritual. Like, yeah, you may sin, I don't sin. You know, that type of thing can discourage somebody from walking with the Lord, from following God, from trusting Him. That type of insincerity is not only bad for us, it's bad for those that we're around. And, and we want an effective ministry. We need to be others-centered and trusting in Him. We saw that our enemy had attacked from outside and trying to uh, trying to discourage and and to bully the church from uh, from from praising God and preaching in His name. And now we see that internal attack being dealt with here. That that God dealt with it. My encouragement to all of us is pray that the Lord would give us sincerity of heart and they would give us effective ministry, that we would be other-centered. Where would you have me serve, Lord? What would you have me do? What word of encouragement can I give to somebody else to encourage them in their walk with the Lord? Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll pray? Oh, gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for messages like this that would put their finger on insincerity in our own hearts, hypocrisy in our own hearts, that we wouldn't follow them but that we would bring every thought, as the scripture says, into bring it captive into obedience of Christ, that we would follow you. And as we follow you, Lord, we know that you are going to make us more like you, that we would be concerned with the well-being and encouragement of others. And as we do so, you fill us and you give us the fulfillment. As we empty ourselves for you, you fill us with your spirit and use us. Oh, it's a, it's a great formula, Lord. You're a genius, and we thank you so much for who you are and how much you love sinners like us. Change us and mold us more into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.